Welcome, and thank you for joining us as we listen to the lively messages of Brother Nick Manzi, a down-to-earth pastor who communicates God's truth in understandable and practical terms as you apply the Bible to your own life. I want to warn you that today we're going to look at a lot of scripture, so if you can't keep up, I'm giving you a heads up, you can write down the scripture and look it down later. Uh, but for sake of time, I have to make sure we get to those things and get it, get it going. But this message that we're going to talk tonight, it's first in a series that's going to explore popular sayings in this world and what people say about what's supposed to be in the Bible. And if you know that there's dozens of these type of sayings that are out there and uh, people float these sayings around and they actually think that it becomes from the Bible. And, you know, it's one of those things, if you say it enough, it becomes true. You know, and our world today, unfortunately, has become come true with a lot of them, and they're really not in the Bible. And I think across America today, the problem with that is that there's a lot, really probably a great deal of biblical illiteracy out there. People just don't read their Bibles. They don't study it much anymore. And it's even in the pews of many of our churches today. And we see that constantly. So, however I feel the Lord's leading me in this sermon series, we're going to take, okay? So, and I'm not just talking about tonight. It might be three sermons. It might be 20 sermons. I don't know. But we'll let the Lord lead, and we'll see where he leads us to be. But for now, I want us to be able to take a litmus test on our own Bible literacy, okay? So, I'm going to give you one of those pop-up quizzes that we talked about not that long ago. And here it is, okay? I want to give you five, five signs that maybe you're not reading your Bible enough. Number five, you think the epistles were the wives of the apostles. <laughs> Number four, you think the minor prophets worked underground in coal mines. Number three, you think Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Number two, you think Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were some rock group from the 60s. And here's the number one uh, thing that if you, a number one sign that you may not read your Bible quite enough. You tell your kids the story of Jonah the shepherd boy and his ark of many colors. You know, the thing is, we, we, it, it's so real out there where people confuse a lot of the stories and they think they hear things in the Bible. And today I want us to be able to look at a specific phrase that's said quite often. And that phrase is cleanliness is next to godliness. Anybody have heard that saying before? Cleanliness is next to godliness. You know, we might think that that phrase, cleanliness, cleanliness is next to godliness, was some Hebrew proverb that we can find in, in the book of Proverbs somewhere, and it has been around for centuries, but it actually first appeared in printed form on a sermon entitled Undress by John Wesley in 1769. That's where it originated from. In that sermon, John Wesley said, Slovenliness is no part of religion. Cleanliness is indeed next to godliness. See, that came from him. That didn't come from the Bible. I want to set that straight. But let's go ahead and look. We'll see what our Bible talks about cleanliness. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 23. We're going to be in verse 25 and 26. Matthew 23, 25 and 26. Are you there? Say amen. 
Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Let's pray. Lord, Father, I just want to thank you once again for today and thank you for giving us your word. So, Father, I just pray that as we study your word tonight, that you just open up our hearts and minds to what you'd have to say. Fill us with the Holy Spirit and give us an understanding of how we're supposed to understand your word, but how we're supposed to live your word. And, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, help us be able to walk out inside of this church doors and be able to live what we learned tonight. Father, clear our minds, hearts of everything good, bad and different tonight so the only thing we focus on you because we want to be able to worship you and you alone and we thank you for that opportunity it's in your son's holy and precious name we pray jesus our christ amen just out of curiosity have you ever known anybody that's obsessed with cleanliness i mean like way over the top of cleanliness <laughs> i had a laugh about that one but i know why and we'll talk about that later <laughs> You, you know the kind of people I'm talking about, the kind that, that's so clean-minded that before they leave on a trip, they want to make sure their whole house is spotless before they go, not just because they want it clean, but in case they die while they're on their trip, when somebody goes to their house, nobody thinks that they're a dirty person. You know, that, that's, that's the kind of person I'm talking about. Those type of people are so clean conscience that when their spouse gets out of bed in the middle of the night to go use the restroom, they, by the time they get back, the bed's made. <laughs> Today, studies have shown that many Americans believe that cleanliness is next to godliness. That phrase is in the Bible. But the problem is it's not. See, what we don't know is in the Bible, it can hurt us, can it? It can hurt us. So I want us to be able to look exactly what the Bible says about being clean. First, we need to notice that the Old Testament taught that one must avoid defilement. The Old Testament taught that one must avoid defilement. See, in the books of Leviticus and Numbers, God gave the Jews so many laws about the importance of being both ceremonially and, and physically clean. There's so much about it. It's because to be unclean back then was to be defiled. And to help, to help them, God gave them directions in Scripture about certain foods that were clean and which ones were unclean. And many of those were rules and precautions that God gave to the Hebrews for, to prevent them from getting sick. For instance, God told the Jews not to eat pork. You remember that? Now, we know today that pigs are susceptible to bacteria like trichinosis and, and they, the undercooked pork, it really can be dangerous to consume. You know those things. Another example of this is found in God's prohibition of touching dead bodies. Today, we, get, we know we can get infectious diseases and it can sometimes be spread by corpses. So God gave them some precautions, some rules and some directions about hygiene when it comes to corpses, dead bodies. 
As a matter of fact, look at Numbers chapter 19, 17 through 19. And like I said, I'm going to fly through this. So write it down if you have to. Numbers 19, 17 through 19. It says, And for an unclean person, they shall take some of the ashes of the heifer burnt for purification from sin, and running water shall be put on them in a vessel. A clean person shall take hyssop and dip it in the water, sprinkle it on the tent, on all the vessels, on the the persons who were there, or on the one who touched a bone, the slain, the dead, or a grave. The clean person shall sprinkle the unclean on the third day, and on the seventh day, and on the seventh day he shall purify himself, wash his clothes, and bathe in water, and at evening he shall be clean. See, the Jews... In this passage that we just read, they were told to take the ashes from a red heifer. They were told to take those ashes because it included animal fat within it. Remember, they're killing the whole heifer. They're taking the fat, the meat, the bones, everything involved. They're taking the ashes, which included the animal fat, and they were supposed to be mixing it with the wood ashes that they used to burn that heifer. And then they had to add water to it. Now, we read this story today, we just kind of glance over it, maybe even say, well, God gave him some kind of mysterious, strange instruction here. Well, I know it may sound a little bit strange for us today in our day and age, but does anyone know enough chemistry to tell me what you get when you mix animal fat, wood ashes, and water? You get soap. You get soap. God was simply saying, do yourself a favor. Use soap. Use water. And you'll be healthier. So does it apply to us today? I think 66 books still applies to us today, doesn't it? See, Leviticus reads like a sanitary manual. There's instructions for how a woman needs to be cleaning herself after childbirth or after her menstrual cycle. There's several chapters in scripture that read like a dermatology textbook. And it gives detailed instructions about uh, treating and, and diagnosing those skin problems that we may have. Every so often, we hear about the problem with mold in our houses. If you've been in Port St. Lucie long enough, you remember the Chinese mold? But that's nothing new. See, God devoted over a hundred verses to mold in Leviticus. He told us how we can get rid of it in Leviticus. See, another example of this is found in Leviticus eleven twenty four, and in this verse, God warns uh, warns them about the danger of touching animal carcasses. He warned that the bad germs could be spread on all kinds of surfaces and materials. And the Bible says in Leviticus eleven twenty four through 26, By these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches the carcass of any of them shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries part of the carcass of any of them shall wash his hands, excuse me, shall wash his clothes and be unclean till evening. The carcass of any animal which divides the foot, but is not cloven hoofed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches it shall be unclean clean because the emphasis today is on cleansing and the emphasis back then was on being clean the jews became one of the most health conscientious groups that were out there they were probably the most health conscientious group in history 
because of what God has told them to do. They became the clean freaks, so to speak, of the ancient world. But these rules, they made them different from other people groups that were out there. God intended for them to be different so they can be a blessing to all nations. But they missed the point. When they were looking at this, they used those rules and regulations to make themselves feel good about their religion. And it created a spiritual pride within them. And of course, that led to a problem existing during Jesus' time, which comes to our second point this evening. The Jews became more concerned with their outward purity than their inner purity. The Jews became more concerned about their outward purity than their inward purity. See, through the centuries, these, these purity regulations regularly, uh, gradually degenerated into these empty rituals that happened that became substitutes for a personal relationship with God. And by the time Jesus was ministering in Israel, these clean and unclean laws the Jews had expanded to include trivial uh, details bordering on uh, religious paranoia. And in Mark 7, Jesus and his disciples collide with these same purity rules that we just looked at. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, they gather around Jesus and they saw some of his disciples eating food with unclean hands. Let's look at the story, Mark 7, 1 through 4. Mark 7, 1 through 4. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now, when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with the defiled, that is, with one unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. See, today we know with all the modern technology that we have, there's invisible germs out there. I touch here, it's germs. We take a shopping cart, there's germs. And there's even wipes in front of most stores so you can clean your shopping cart because we know that it's important to be able to stay as healthy as we can and be as clean as we can. That's why it was so important even today to wash our hands before we eat. Why? Because we don't want to get germs on our food, and then eventually into our mouth and our digestive system. See, what we need to realize is that Jesus' disciples' hands weren't dirty, or it was just that they didn't observe the tradition of the cleaning of hands, of washing their hands in some sort of ceremonial fashion. So, of course, the religious leaders of the time, they were appalled by what, was, what they were seeing. See, God taught the Jews that cleanliness was a means to holiness and godliness. But Jews took it to the extreme during their time. And until these, uh, these regulations became the end of godliness, well, they didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. They climbed in in the bath and kicked the baby out. 
They mistook physical cleanliness with holiness. See, to them, cleanliness was not next to godliness. To them, it was godliness. That's why we see Jesus now in Mark 7 correcting them. Jesus was extremely disturbed that the Jews substituted all these rules and traditions for God's word. And then same chapter, Mark 7, verse 6 and 7, he described these hyper-religious clean freaks in this way. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, that's the definition of tradition right there. A rule taught by a man. Now, some traditions are good, don't get me wrong, because they don't violate Scripture. You know, we have, we have traditions on how we do our worship here, okay? As long as it doesn't violate Scripture, we're good, it's okay, those things are okay. But when we elevate a man-made rule above God's Word, when we think what we say is stronger, is better than what God says then we're we're guilty of exactly what Jesus said a few verses later in verse 13 when he says, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down and many such things you do. And then in verse 14 and 15, he gets to the heart of the matter. Jesus says, hear me, everyone, and understand There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. We have a habit of blaming other people and other things a lot, don't we? What defiles a man, Jesus says? Those that come out of him, not those other things. That's hard, isn't it? That's hard to comprehend. See, this was a revolutionary idea that Jesus was bringing these Israelites. Jesus saying the real problem is that we have a dirty heart, not hands. Our, our hearts are dirty. And then he goes on in verse 21 through 23, and he explains it even clearer. When he says, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Do you see that? Let me stop here. I've been saying man a lot because that's what the word says. Let me tell you, it belongs to everybody here, okay? So wives, don't look at your husbands and say, I told you so. (laughs) See, the problem with most religions is that they focus on cleaning up the exterior of a person without ever really touching somebody's heart. That's the creed of all false religions. And it can be summed up with this. Appearance and performance is better than knowing God. That's what they say. That's what they say. Oh, I got to create a big church. Let's give them what tickles their ear. Let's not create any stirs and not step on any toes. Is that what God says? That's not what he says. If you love somebody, you're going to tell them the truth and all the truth, not just a portion of it. 
I wouldn't let my son put his finger in a socket when he was two. I won't let him now either. <laughs> but I had to tell him that that's dangerous. And I had to slap his hand away so he would understand. So that's what God does when he teaches us his word. But if I say, hey, Trey, that's okay. You can touch it all you want because God loves you. What's going to happen to him? He's going to get shocked and die. See, we have to tell the full truth. But these Jewish leaders, they thought they were cleaner than Jesus and his disciples because they washed their hands some certain way before they were able to touch their food. It made them feel good about themselves and better than others. See, religious rituals allow you to feel good about yourself and better than others. That's what false religion does. It appeals to the flesh. It gives one a sense of outer respectability and seldom matters. It seldom addresses the matters of the heart. See, every religion has rituals. Understand that. The Muslims, well, they call the, their call to prayer is issued, and the men will stop their activity no matter what they're doing and start to face Mecca, and they recite their, their praise, their memorized prayers. It makes them feel good about themselves and that they got to pray to Allah and they call the rest of us infidels since we don't pray to Allah. But does it really change their lives to, and live in peace with others to be able to love others? You know, I remember being on a plane one time and, and there was uh, a bunch of Orthodox Jewish men and they were wearing all black and I'm talking really Orthodox, you know, with the hair uh, curls and, you know, the hats and the shawls, the prayer shawls. And you see the tzitzis coming out of their, their shirts and everything. And they, they all crowded at a certain point of this flight to the back of the airplane. And they did that so they could be nearer to Jerusalem. And they tied on their phylacteries and, and bobbed up and down and started reading the Torah but does all that make them love their neighbors? So I've been in churches where people will make signs with their hands and, you know, all this stuff. And they repeat certain words and they eat a wafer and drink some juice. And they think they're set for another week. But does that clean their hearts? So we need to be careful as Southern Baptists. Many people proclaim to have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But many are moved by emotion and not a convicting spirit. Thousands and thousands of Baptists around this world are getting dunked. They get their names put on church rolls and they haven't been heard or seen from since. But they think they're going to go to heaven because of some ritual of walking down the aisle and filling out a card saying, I want to be a member two dozen years ago. And if you ask them if they know the Lord, they'll answer, well, well I've been a Baptist for 40 years. See, what I'm saying is that false religion focuses on how we look outwardly. God doesn't want you to embrace a religion. He wants your heart to be clean. Amen. 
He wants your heart to be clean. And that can only happen when you intimately know him. When you know him. See, what the Pharisees didn't understand was that we have an inner stain that soap and water can never clean. We have an inner stain that soap and water can never clean. That's our third point tonight. See, even in Old Testament time, God was trying to teach people that there's a big difference between the outward purity and inner purity. Jews would lather up and they'd wash up and they'd clean up and then they think they were presentable to God. But through the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 22, For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, Yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? God's desire for you and for me is that we become holy, that we become pure. See, soap is good for cleansing the outside of the body, but it doesn't get below the surface of the skin and into the heart. In 1837, there was a chemist named James Gamble. And then there was a candle maker named William Proctor. And they started a little company you might have heard out of, of in Cincinnati, Ohio, to be able to produce some better soap. And until that time, soap was, well, it was harsh. It was smelly. But they came up with a formula to make some pure white soap. And for many years, the brand name of this soap was called White Soap. But in 1870, a worker accidentally left a machine that was mixing the ingredients on for much too long. And an excessive amount of air got into the mixture. Not wanting to waste the ingredients, they poured it into the molds and they sold it as it was. Well, Procter & Gamble started receiving all these letters from people stating that they liked the new floating soap that they sold. And the company figured out that batch that had too much air was what produced the first bar of floating soap. So they changed the process to, to make the white soap float continuously. Well, along comes William's son, his name's Harley, and he was running the company at this point, and he didn't really like the brand name, uh, or the name of the, that, that soap being called white soap. So one Sunday in church, he heard his pastor read from Psalm chapter 45, verse uh, verse 8, and it says, All your garments are scented with myrrh and aloes and cassia out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad. So from that verse, he renamed that soap, ivory soap. For marketing purposes, Procter & Gamble, well, they wanted to ask independent chemists to be able to analyze the ingredients of this newly named ivory soap that they had. And the result came back that it was 0.56 of impurities that were discovered within the soap. So Harley Procter, he proudly proclaimed that this soap was 99.44% pure and he even had that phrase copyrighted. You might have heard it once or twice. But truthfully, 99.44% pure. It really isn't a, a pure at all, is it? It's impure. It's impure. 
See, the meaning of the word pure means unmixed. Unmixed. And 99.44% means, well, it had to be mixed with something because there's something in it. It's almost pure. It's not pure. See, I'm telling you this because God's requirement for you and for me is to be pure and holy. Not almost pure. Not almost pure. Let me put it a different way. What if I asked Jessica, or let's put it a different way. What if she asked me, Nick, have you been faithful to me? And I replied, well, I've been faithful to you for 95% of the time. Do you think she'd be happy? Not at all. I guarantee she won't be happy. So let me ask you, how clean are you today? And I'm not talking about your skin. How clean is your heart today? You might say, pretty clean, Pastor. I'm better than a lot of people. Let me ask you a different way. Is your heart pure today? Is it totally pure? Do you think God would be pleased if your heart is 80% clean? What about 90% pure? Do you think God is even pleased if our heart were to be 99.44% pure? I'll tell you, he's not. He's not. That's why God issued the great invitation that we see in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. that says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Through your, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So let me ask you, do you need this inner cleansing? There's only one way to be clean before God. Jesus is the only one that can clean us from the inside out. The only one. Going back to our main text this evening, Jesus said to the hyper clean freaks in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 and 26, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, and that the outside of them may be clean also. See, Jesus gives us an opportunity to be able to come to him, to have our life cleansed from the inside out. And there's two ways we can do this. One, his blood can make us clean. Amen? Amen that he did this, what he did on the cross for us. See, in the Old Testament, thousands upon thousands of animals, bulls, goats, lambs, they were sacrificed during Jewish time as an atonement for their sins. And these rituals made them ceremonially clean. And this was the old covenant. But praise the Lord, Jesus established a new covenant in his blood. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13 and 14, we're told, For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Someone you may know, maybe you, maybe you're carrying a guilty conscience, maybe they are. 
Maybe it's because of something that they've done years and years ago and that makes you feel clear, uh, dirty inside. But by trusting the finished work of Jesus on the cross, we can have our conscience washed squeaky clean. That's the first thing. Number two, his word can keep you clean. After we have Jesus, we get his word to be able to follow. And Jesus says in John chapter uh, 15, verse 3, he says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Do you believe this is infallible, that this is 100% true? There's no mistakes, no problems, nothing of that sort, that it's pure? Then we need to believe that verse too, don't we? We need to believe that verse when Jesus says that you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. See, salvation is like a bath. And what a bath does to our body, salvation does to our soul. It cleans us up on the inside. But as we walk in this dirty world and our spiritual feet, they start to get dirty. We have to stay in his word to be able to stay pure and clean because all of us sin. But how quickly do we get back to the word or do we continue to fall in that sin and walk away from God? I heard about a hillbilly woman who had nine children and one of her boys fell into a tar barrel and she was working hard to scrub them clean. And she, thinks, she said to the boy, I think it would just be easier to get rid of you and have another one to clean than, than it is to clean you up. See, in our sinful, stained condition, God could easily have said the same thing. You're so dirty, it's not worth cleaning you up. I'll just start over, maybe with another people, maybe with another planet. But see, God didn't do that. Instead, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be able to die for our sins so you and I can be clean That's why Jesus says to us, come on, let's have a relationship with one another. And even though you're like scarlet because all those sins you have, I can make you white as snow. So that phrase, cleanliness, is next to godliness. Well, it's not in the Bible. But we must know that we cannot approach God if we're dirty. We just cannot. So let me ask you, Do we need a cleansing from the inside out? Do you? Maybe for the first time, that's salvation. Or maybe your spiritual feet have been dirtied. So will you ask God and seek him and tell him to clean your heart and create a new heart within you? If you do, I promise you'll discover Cleanliness is not next to godliness. But a clean heart is definitely a pathway to godliness. Nick Manzi is senior pastor of Central Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. If you want more information about the church, or if you're ready to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, contact Brother Nick at Pastor Nick Central Baptist PSL at gmail.com. God bless you as you go about the rest of your day, and thank you for listening and sharing our podcast.